Yeah, brother. There's a lot of people out there talking about us, for us, at us, but seldom with us. So it's time that we get out there and express our voices, share our worldview, and become accountable. Why? Because I am Five Fibs. A podcast that invites free-thinking black men into a shared space for unapologetic conversations about contemporary issues related to self, society, and the world. So join us for these provocative moments. Let's get at it. Welcome to another edition of I Am Five Fifths. I'm your host, Ahmad Mansoor. And I'm the co-host, Bill Thomason. That is Dollar Bill. That's what I call you. How you doing, my brother? I'm good. Feel more black. <laughs> <laughs> we should let people know that that um, when we're not on the mic, uh, we go by other names. And uh, you are Dollar Bill to me for reasons that people will get to know a little bit more as we go along in this um, in these uh, podcast journeys. episodes. There's these journeys. These, These journeys, journeys. That, that's a great These way journeys. to put it. These journeys, because that's the way we should see it. Yeah. So uh, it's good to it's good to hear your voice again, brother. You too, Black, definitely. Well, I think we have an exciting show today. Uh, we're going to be talking about DEI, and I guess that stands for diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. Boo. Something that's a <laughs> super hot topic. But guess what, man? You you were the one that bought this up as a topic. So I want to ask you, man, so why did you want to bring this to the forefront? Man, you know, I have been thinking about this so much uh, over the last week, you know, just as we prepare for this podcast, you know, and of course, this is a new term that has, you know, gained relevance uh, in the past few years, I guess relevance or whatever other word you want to come up with, man, you know, I went to public school, man. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I struggle with my words sometimes, but, um, smartest you know, brother I know, man. Go uh, ahead. Well, thank you. But man, I I'll say this brother, you know, you know, all of these buzzwords, right. You know, DEI and diversity and inclusion. And I did a little boo on there, man, because there's a part of me that just thinks it's all for show. All right. Well, we're going to hold off on that, man, because we think um, that there is a lot of substance to a conversation on this matter because of what you said. And, uh, you know, I have a couple of I have a perspective myself that um, I'm I'm looking forward to sharing. But essentially, you know, we're going to kind of delve into what is DEI, you know, what what exactly is the expectation of having it? You know, what, the, what is the benefit of it? And, you know, I guess the question is, you know, you know, in these organizations, I mean, is it about appeasement or is it really doing serious work that um, that is seeking to kind of solve some of the challenges uh, within organizations? So I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you, my brother. You too. So I guess we should first explain to our listeners out there that we have a segment before we kind of get in deeper into the DEI discussion. We have a segment that we call five on the black hand side. Now, (laughs) there's going to be a lot of people out there who 
um, who are of a certain age that will get it and who are of a certain age who will not get it. And so I guess the best way to say this is that that was just a term that came from the 70s when we were super proud of what it means to like have black power, what it meant to say black power. And so everything about blackness was affirmed. And so the whole idea of giving five, usually when we give five, it's on the white portion of our hands, the inner portion of our hands. The lighter portion. The yep. lighter portion of our yep. hands. Yep. The backhand side simply meant, okay, brother to brother, let's mm -hmm. give it up on the black hand side. And so that was kind of the unifying factor. So for our audience, we will have a segment that introduce our topic where we will take five minutes to really give both of our perspectives on a given topic before we exchange in a much deeper conversation. How, how right, did I do with that, that, man? All right, I love it. We're going to do that next next, next episode, though, right? We're going to start it off with five on the black hand side, right? Oh, I, oh, we're not doing it this episode. Okay. No, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm just I'm well, saying, which I'm cool with it if we do it now. Well, well yeah, well, I'm... I'm but no, we're going to start off with that going forward. The next episode, we're going to start within the first few minutes of giving our five on the black hand side, right? Absolutely. Well, I'm ready okay. to go now, man. Right. So are you ready to I'm give ready, five man. minutes on DEI? I'm ready, Black. All right, Black man. So right. give I'm me your ready. take on DEI. I personally, man, as you heard me in the very beginning, you heard that saw boo that I gave under my breath. I just feel like it's all a smoke show, man. You know, um, you know, folk all of a sudden feel like, okay, man, we got to appease the, you know, appease the slaves, man. And I'm using, I'm going to, you know, you and I are going to probably use some real harsh terms in this podcast, man. It's going to probably offend some folks. So if it offends you, I just say, cut it off. I just think, man, a lot of this is just, a, um, it's a smoke show, man. You know, and the reason I say this is I have a few friends who work in these positions at both companies. I have another friend who worked in the educational system as the director of equity and inclusion for a major university. Every single person told me they were basically powerless. Whenever they wanted to have something done, whenever they wanted to actually institute something, if they ever wanted to uh, implement some kind of a policy, they always had to go through a whole bunch of hoops to do it. And then they were never really given the same type of uh, managerial uh, authority to really get anything done. That most of these jobs are under human resources and they were just figureheads to say that we had someone in case the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post called, they'd have someone that they could identify. And most of these people got paid really good money to do this. And that was part of it for me too. When I had the few friends that I talked to and I asked them about that, they said part of the challenge was they pay you so much money to do this. And when you got a family and kids and all of that, 
Some people just said they would take the money knowing that what they were doing was power. And this is, and I, I don't want to give people's names or anything like that, but this is people that I have actually talked to. So I just, and then I look at most of them are, are black. They're mostly black and brown women. I know there are some men out there, so I don't want to take away from, from the brothers. But but that's another thing I see that most of these positions are women of color. And, and from everything that I've seen, they're powerless. So that's my that's my five on the black hand side comment. Right on, man. Well, my take is that really the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's essentially a big stimulus package for well-educated, well-spoken, well-dressed corporate and nonprofit professionals who really see themselves and call themselves people of color or quote BIPOC and who claim a very ambiguous and powerless mission inside of most of these organizations. Now, inside these corporate settings, the main thing that they engage in is what they call DEI training, right? Mm -hmm. And this is offered to supposedly create safe spaces um, that identifies implicit bias that allows for white people to kind of quote, you know, make declarations around white privilege. And guess what, man? So according to the Harvard Business uh, Review, their study, 75% of employees uh, that they surveyed, these diversity programs, they have absolutely no effect on the culture and in the environment. And speaking of the environment, you also have the Me Too movement mm -hmm. that assumes in these environments that men are toxic. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, men are crippled by any perceptions that is connected to a wrongful intention. Now, it appears that both the POC and the BIPOC, this is my take on it, they're essentially just fighting for hairstyles, <laughs> you know, for, to, for, you know, I the know. use of pronouns, yeah. uh, quote, cultural competencies, and to just get Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday just, off. Just to be acknowledged that mm. these environments, you know, that they recognize that slavery existed. I mean, that is like, you know, part of the move. Now, the thing about these environments is that the metrics that they implement in these uh, as policies, they actually have no effect on the bottom line. In other words, if a company has a banner year financially, but does not hit any of their DEI benchmarks, there is no repercussions from that. That's just the reality of it all. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about this is that we hear about these stories about what is considered to be, you know, racist, you know, like, you know, a black person will say that it's racist when they find themselves as the only person in the room that now there's a fragility that sets in where now we can't be the only person in the room because it makes us feel uncomfortable. I have big issues with this. So at the root of all of this is these terms like 
intersectionality, which is now the hot button. And that's like a concept that was theorized by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw that creates this social hierarchy around the most uh, oppressed, the so-called oppressed. Mm -hmm. And of course, black women are at the top and black men are not even in this hierarchy because they're considered to be part of the white male classic patriarchy. So all of these efforts have created these overly used terms that has led to things like a cancel culture, both in corporate and the educational institutions where you're beginning to see free speech stymied. Even in educational institutions, you have comedians that used to go to universities all the time and do some of their most edgiest content now refusing to go on the college campuses because these fragile students who are sitting behind diversity, inclusion, and equity, they now are offended by some of the best work that comedians used to do because they are not, or they are infringing on the ideal view of these students' world. So my last point I wanna make at this is that, you know, at the end, you can have all of these dynamics, but what I see is that DEI is just simply clearing the lane for white females to get contracts, promotions, and speaking engagements while the other so-called people of color just feel comfortable with their employees acknowledging that they have white privilege. That's my take. Mm. That's five on the black hand side, man. So what do you think, man? So let, let's talk a little bit about this. So it sounds like that we both don't have the best perspectives and opinions of this whole DEI part. No, what, what about it gets under your skin? Man, I, I, I think... You know what, man, this is another thing I woke up this morning when I was thinking about preparing for this. And I, I hope I'm going to figure out a way to answer this the way you want or the way I think you're at the, the way that you're asking the question. When I was in college, you know, I was in college during the 1980s. And one of the biggest things that was going on back then was apartheid. I know you and I were in college around the same time. So you know what apartheid was. And you remember all the divestitures and people doing all the things around pulling money out of South Africa as a way to show, you know, non-support, right? That we're not going to support this very racist regime. And I remember being the activist that I was, I spent hours, you know, learning about this stuff and, you know, going to marches and all this stuff that the, the white dudes on campus, I thought about, they don't have to worry about all this stuff. Like they can focus on their studies and whatever else maybe they want to do. But I always felt like I had two roles. I had not only did I have to go to college and graduate, you know, get good grades and graduate, but there's a part of me, I always felt like I had to defend my manhood, my blackness, because I, every time it seemed like I turned around, somebody was putting a racist remark somewhere I was dealing with some racist issue 
or and these are things that for me I couldn't just idly ignore it and just sit by and watch it. And so I felt like I had to expend all this time, extra time, just to so I could stay informed, I could stay educated, but if I needed to, I could be ready to fight it and that that my white counterparts didn't have that type of thing that they also had to carry on their shoulders at, you know, 18 or 19 years old. So if you were, 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 let me ask you a question. Let me jump in here right quick and ask you. So, okay, you were presented with that. Did you feel like there was a need for a quote, safe space to be created for you? Like a, a space that inoculated you supposedly against, you know, um, kind of this white, racist language or right white critique whatever you want to call it or or did you feel more inclined to stay within you know outside of the safe space and deal with it by other means look look i i grew up in inner city detroit you know uh you all gonna hear me you know last uh last episode i gave a little musical reference i'm about to give another one here man you know there was a song from the 1980s uh and i can't remember the name right now ma but the lyrics went out in the street you don't survive by being weak you remember that song and you know what man i don't need nobody to create nothing for me that's just me speaking i feel strongly that we need to, you know, part, that's part of what we need to create within our own family structures is that create our own sense of, of self-worth and identity. Cause I never felt like I needed a, a, a safe place to go. Well, that's, that's, what, well, that's what's happening on college campuses t- today. So, you know, when, when you look at black students who face anything that they find offensive, then, you know, they are running into the hills seeking cover. And that's, that's a really big concern of mine because also what's happening is that they are, you know, they are protesting against certain speakers, like, you know, coming to the college campus. I'll give you an example because I think that this is, um, one that would get anyone, get a lot of people's hairs up. Um, you know, you take someone like Charles Murray, you know, who wrote the bell curve. Mm-hmm. So Charles Murray, who, whether you agree or disagree with him, whether you actually read his work or have not read his work, the reality is, is that he's a real scholar and he is a well-published individual that gets invited to college campuses by certain segments of a university community. Well, when he is invited to these campuses, it is the students, Black and I guess their, quote, allies, their their allies, who will um, boycott him and do all they can to ensure that he doesn't get to the college campus and speak. This is part of safe the, the whole safe spaces theory. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I I think back when I was in college and some of the controversial 
uh, people that may have come to college campus back when I was, you know, uh, in college. You know what, man? And I know we're probably pushing up on our time. Um, you know, this is such a good discussion. I, I did. I, I'll leave it like this. Um, you know, I just feel like it's another. I, I have to agree. I think it's just they've created yet another way for you know, black and brown folks, man, to try to appease us, you know, uh, and, 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 and just make these environments that I just think are useless. Um, you know, the, these, these job titles, when I understood how powerless some of these people are, and maybe there are a few out here that are actually doing something. So to them, kudos to them. If they're in the, at their job and they're working to create, you know, opportunities and create wealth in communities of color, then hands hats off to you. But from what everything I've heard, that's not the case. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, Ahmad, man, I just feel like, you know, we're just going down this rabbit hole, man, of, you know, making a whole, uh, I just said it, you know, from the song, just making people soft and weak, you know, where like my, I think, again, you hear me reference my grandfathers, right? They, my grandfathers worked in the auto plants in Detroit. They didn't have unions and people fighting for them back then, but my grandfathers fought and they made it. And they, they my, both my grandfathers bought homes and both my grandfathers sent their kids to college, even though they didn't go themselves. That's that to me, there were no diversity and equity and inclusion managers in the plants back then. <laughs> right. Right. And they, but they made it and they fought. And I feel like we're just creating this, 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 this <laughs> group of people that's just soft and just, you know, don't know how to, you know, because that's the first thing they're going to do is start running to the diversity and inclusion manager of, you know, well, somebody said something that I felt was offensive. And maybe they did. I don't know. But I don't know, man. I, I'm, I don't know, man. Like I said, maybe I'm a little Neanderthal in some of my. The well, way I, well I, I think that's what people how they want to paint someone like yourself or me who bring these questions up. But I, I think we're far from Neanderthal. I, I, you know, what, what's been created, especially, you know, in the black community. And, and this is of course, not for all people mm -hmm. who are mm -hmm. out there, but, you know, there is a kind of a, a snowflake culture, a, a, a fragility. It's almost like, you know, that, that, anti-fragile nature that our ancestors had created and built up from us for us over all these years have somewhere and somehow been turned around where now it's about trying to convince others of what they're doing to us, how they're hurting us, convincing them of our humanity with the hope that they will have, you know, that we will get in their, in their good gracious graces and 
they will bestow some, <laughs> you know, illuminating, you know, power to make us whole. It's all based on the idea that something is being done to us that is stopping us from being the best version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and blaming someone else on because of it and blaming someone else because of it now i'm not erasing racism by any means but i think i'm willing to jump out and say that it is not the first item that i point to for why things are the way they are or what's happening or not happening for black people and when I look at these college students, now I, I left off today because I didn't w- really want to get into a story behind this, but, um, but you know, I had an experience when I was up at Yale uh, going to a graduation and I went, to a, I went to the all black portion of the graduation and all of these students who were considered to be the top, the, you know, what DeBose would call the, the talented 10th, mm-hmm. well, they spent most of that time talking about the trauma that they had at Yale. Now I'm going to leave it there because I can go full in on this, but I was just amazed to see that these people who have everything that they need to win in the society was bringing in the term trauma up at Yale. You just said something that just really triggered with me because when you think of a black kid that goes to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or any of the Ivy League schools, what's one of the first things you think of a, a black? Um, well, first I think of privilege. Um, yeah, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me, privilege. First thing that comes to mind is that you think that kid is smart. Absolutely. That's what you think. That's the first thing you think. Oh, he, your son went to Harvard or Yale? Oh, he's smart. And what you and that's the first thing because that's where smart kids go, and you and I know that ain't the truth, not always. And what I'm hearing is that so you got these smart kids that now they're talking about how traumatic this experience was. Whereas I'm thinking if you went to for like a Howard University, I'm about to flip the script now. Hold on for y'all that's listening. So you know you go to Howard or you go to Morehouse and you know in a lot of their graduate programs like Howard Medical School, Howard Law School, Morehouse Medical School, a lot of those kids are not black, right, Ahmad? You know that, right? A lot of those black, historically black universities, their medical and law schools, a lot of the kids there are not black. I wonder what they're saying. Are they talking about how tragic it was for me to go to Morehouse and get my medical degree as a white student? That's a nice nice twist. I like that. And I think (laughs) as as they say, as, as the kids say, just saying, but I guarantee they ain't talking about how tragic it was. They're just like, Hey, I got a degree from a medical school or a law school. And and I'm and I'm getting ready to go get a job or do whatever I'm about to do. I ain't talking about no tragedy. Just yeah, saying. 
think that's a fantastic point. And I'm willing to leave it right there uh, because I think that's a great way to end this podcast in a very um, illuminating discussion about DEI. And perhaps we can and will come back to this topic and extend it because I know that our audience members out there will um, have something to say about it as well. I think so, we have to, man. I yeah. do. So I want to, I want to, once again, man, I just want to say um, thanks for indulging me um, in these hot topics and conversations. And I also want to let our audience know that they can catch us. I am five fifths on all distribution platforms such as Apple and Google Play and also our platform Anchor. And if you hang out with us long enough, you'll see our website go up, which we'll let you know when that happens, but it will be I am number five fifth spelled out dot com. And there we will not only have our podcast, but we will have resources. We'll have more topics related to um, the podcast and the topics that we're interested in. And we're going to have some goodies for you because we want this to be not only uh, a discussion, but we want it to be educational where you can grow and develop. And we're committed to that. So Brother Bill, Dollar Bill. <laughs> Bill man, it's, been, it's been all good, brother. Hey, man, I'm going to just close out, brother. Out in the street, you don't survive by being weak, baby. There you go. <laughs> Only the strong. Only the strong. <laughs> all right, Black. It Take was care. a good one, man. You as well, brother. Peace. Till next time. Peace.